Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring sermons drawn from our pastoral staff and various guest preachers. for that choir. That was incredible. It's an incredible version of an incredible song that really sums up what Christ asks of each and every one of us. Take my life, take my hands. Let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my voice, take my love. I pour at thy feet my treasure store. It's an incredible call, isn't it? It's a reflection of what God, through Jesus Christ, asks of each and every one of us. And yet, sometimes we can brush over the intensity, the broadness of that request. That's part of the reason why we've been in this sermon series that we have been in, where we have been asking ourselves, where in our life of faith could we do with a little shot of caffeine? Are there any places in the way that we live our lives that might be a little sleepy when we are called instead to be invigorated, that might be a little dispassionate in the moments where we are being called to be vibrant and full of passion? Today, we're going to hear a familiar parable for those of you who have been around the church for a while. This is Jesus. He's responding to, not a heckler, he's responding to sort of a request from the crowd. And out of that request comes this little story, this parable. I invite you to listen with me to Luke 12, verse 13 and on. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, Who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? for I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
need your spirit upon us, God, because we read this scripture from one of the wealthiest places in the world. Help us to hear what you are trying to speak to us. Help us to respond the way that you want us to respond. And remind us of the fullness of life that you offer us if we follow your way. So we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For most of us who grew up in Western American society, we learned somewhere along the way that compartmentalizing our lives is a good thing to do. This learning comes in a variety of instructions and social expectations. For example, we know that in order to be good employees, we must learn to keep our personal lives separate from our work commitments. And we know that in order to be good spouses or good parents, we need to leave our work at the office and not take it home. We have to compartmentalize those parts of our lives. We know that if we want to be good dinner guests, then we should not talk about religion or politics at the table. It's a lesson my family has never followed once. However, we know that that's a rule that we're supposed to do to try and make sure that we are compartmentalizing controversy away from our dinner. And I would bet that many of us heard somewhere along the way that there is no context that it makes it ever appropriate to ask someone how much money they make or who they voted for. Now, even though many of these rules are changing at a fairly rapid rate, compartmentalization is something that is inherent in our social fabric here in the United States. We like to separate our identity into shards, and we only share a little piece with certain groups of people. We accept that some people will only ever experience a particular side to us, and we don't question that. In fact, maybe we like it that way. The people at work see us as professionals. Our family hopefully sees us as nurturing. Our friends see our sense of humor as either crass or corny or dry. Our church sees us as collected and pious. We often exercise compartmentalization without any thought at all. Sometimes we want to build that compartmentalization into the way that we live our lives, keeping every piece of who we are and what we do separate from one another. But one of the things that we know through Scripture is that Jesus is not a proponent of compartmentalization, particularly when it comes to exercising our faith. Jesus advocated for every decision, every action, often for every thought to be congruent with our belief in God. It's one of the reasons why Jesus spoke more about money than Jesus spoke about prayer. Because in his eyes, how we handle our money cannot be separated from how we worship. 
All throughout the scriptures, Jesus urges his followers to change their behavior and to reflect the urgency and the primacy of their faith. No matter how awkward it was going to make them feel in the moment, Jesus did not believe in compartmentalizing our faith into just one fragment of our identity. Friends, he wants it all. We have a good example of this in our passage for today. Jesus offers this parable in response to a man who is asking him if Jesus, as a rabbi, will arbitrate his father's estate between him and his brother, which actually gives us a lot of information about what's happening in this moment. It means that this person who's talking to Jesus is probably the younger of the two brothers. Because when a father died without a will, the sons would divide up the assets between each other and the other siblings. And so long as the other brother, older brother agreed to it, the estate would be considered settled. So it appears as though since this estate is not settled, that this younger brother has been unable to get the older brother to agree to give him what he feels is his due. And so he comes to Jesus for help. But he's not really nice in the way that he asks for help, right? He's not really interested in Jesus having some sort of fair arbitration between he and his brother about who should get what. And we know that from the way that he says what he says. He doesn't ask, he commands, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what I want. And so it's at this command from the younger brother that Jesus reacts the way that he does because it's sort of a harsh response. He warns him against greed. He says, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus is reacting to this man's arrogant presumption that he is absolutely entitled to get exactly what he wants, regardless of his brother's needs, regardless of any mitigating circumstances. He wants what he wants when he wants it. And so then Jesus goes on to tell this brother a story, a story about a different man who's also entitled, self-informed, self-serving, but this man doesn't have to dispute his wealth with anyone. He doesn't have to dispute his, his wealth with anyone except for death. So Jesus, he doesn't actually begin his story by talking about that self-serving man. He begins his story by talking about the ground. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. It doesn't say that the rich man did anything extra or special to gain that bumper crop. It doesn't say that he planted extra seed or that he used better fertilizer or that he paid more workers. It says that the ground did more on its own, by chance, by luck, or as we would be led to believe, by the blessing of God. But this man in the story, he doesn't see it that way. I love this one translation of this 
parable, it goes like this. It says, the man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he says to himself, this is what I'll do. He says, I will tear down my barns. I will build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus of game. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Now, I don't know what words stand out to you the most in what this man says in his conversation with himself. But I can tell you that in those three short sentences, the rich man in the parable manages to say I six times, and he manages to say my five times. There is no mention in his self-conversation about anyone else in his life. There's no acknowledgement of anyone working on his farm, no notice of anyone else living in his community, and there is certainly no mention of the God who had blessed him abundantly to begin with. Friends, that's because greed isolates us from the kingdom of God. In this parable, the man, he's an island unto himself. He is isolated from the Talmud, where it had been taught to him in his religious tradition that when the community is in trouble, let not a man say, I will go to my house and I will eat and drink and all will be well with me, but rather a man should share in the distress of the community. He was isolated from his faith tradition. He was isolated from the friends and family and neighbors in ancient Middle Eastern culture that would usually join him in deliberating over even the most minor of decisions, let alone a major construction project. And he is isolated from the God who blessed him with that crop that surpassed any of the effort he had actually put into it. And for what? It's another interesting turn of phrase. Jesus asks this question of the man in the parable. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Here's the question. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus doesn't ask him to think about what's going to happen to him when he gets into heaven. He doesn't place the man in front of God for judgment day. He doesn't situate that man in hell like that other parable with the rich man and Lazarus. He simply points out that all of that grain is not going to be his when he dies. This is how it will be, he says, with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. Things will be isolated. And in the end, not only does greed have this man isolated from his religious teaching, from his friends, from his family, his community, isolated from God and from the kingdom that God builds, builds, but he will also be isolated from all of his stuff too, in death. Greed leaves us with nothing. Eugene Peterson says this about our parable for today. He says, we quit, we quit thinking of wealth as love to be shared and position it as something we are supposed to be in charge of. We 
quit thinking about wealth as love to be shared and we start thinking about it as power to be used. We interpret our wealth and position as something we are in charge of. And then we position others as the poor that we must organize and direct and guide. And as we do it, it feels good. He says, we are in charge. We don't need others. We are in control. We know more than others. We have more experience. We are doing so much good. We need a bigger barn. In order to be more effective in our use of what we have, we accumulate more. We extend our influence. We become busy, very busy doing good. Because when we are very busy, we don't have time for building the more demanding and difficult personal relationships of love. Building barns, which is obviously a good thing, doesn't leave much energy left over for the time-consuming work of loving our neighbors, let alone loving God. Greed is perhaps the most isolating force in the world that we live in. Greed ignites wars on the global stage, and greed summons inaction in our own national and local politics. Greed tears down trusting relationships, and it puts up obstacles between acquaintances before friendships can even be formed. Jesus says here, that wealth in the kingdom of God is not the wealth that comes from greed. Wealth in the kingdom of God means prioritizing our connection with people over prioritizing our connection with things. Prioritizing our connection not just with the people we like. Prioritizing our connection with our enemies over the most beloved possession we have. Which is why it's important for us to resist that urge to compartmentalize our faith from our financial planning. Because no matter what boundaries we keep in our social lives, no part of our lives is intended to be compartmentalized from our faith no part of our lives is meant to be held back from the touch of God and no part of our lives will be able to experience the fullness of the kingdom unless we surrender it into God's hands. Amen. You have been listening to a production of San Marino Community Church. Find our worship services on YouTube or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify.